guys can go ahead and have a seat. That would be great. Good morning to you all. As Matt said, my name is Jerry. And it's my honor to share with you here this morning from the book of Acts chapter 20. So I invite you to turn there in your copy of scripture. Acts chapter 20. We're going to start in uh, verse number 7. This is where we find ourselves in this narrative, uh, our very last message in the book of Acts. Those of you that were around with us know that we started this series probably in October or so, maybe, of last year. So we've had uh, lots of breaks in between and a whole summer of break, but probably 27, 28 different messages in the book of Acts. And it's been incredible, it's been powerful for us as a church to look at the blueprint of what Jesus left us with and with the very weak people in charge, uh, the very inexperienced people in charge uh, who were going by the power and the wisdom of the Spirit of God and created this thing that we call church and that we're in here together. So hopefully that's been impacting and powerful for you as it has been for us, but today's the very last one, uh, last message in, in this book of Acts. And before we really get rolling in, there is just a little bit of a prologue that I want to share here that really doesn't have to do with the meat of the message, but is still just incredibly entertaining and fun, and I love that God left it in there. Um, and it has to do with, uh, with students, with young people. The cornerstone of our church, and there's many great examples of that in Scripture, right? You've got, you know, Joseph and young David, and you've got Josiah who was king. Probably most of the disciples were teenagers, right? So we got great things, but then you've got some teenagers that are not put in the best light in Scripture. And that's one of the accounts here that's so glorious. So follow with me, Acts chapter 20, verse 7, and we'll go ahead and dive right in. Again, just a little parenthetical, but here we go. On the first day of the week, that's going to be on a Sunday, right? Remember, the New Testament church began to meet on Sunday, whereas before they had met on Saturday. But Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday, and that's when the church decided to meet. So on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. Okay, so here we are, Sunday morning, church, and Paul's there doing what he does. Notice what's next. And he prolonged his speech until, what does it say? Until midnight. So all of you clock watchers, who it gets to be five minutes after 12, and oh my goodness, we're going to die of starvation, supposed to end. Yeah, my man Paul started just rolling, and he kept on going and going and going and going all the way until midnight, verse 8. And there were many lamps in that upper room where they were gathered. Do you think maybe some of the people from the congregation were like, man, I wish these lamps would go out already. Band, come up with a closing song or something. This is prolonging. This is crazy. Here's where the student ministry comes in. First student ministry mentioned uh, in the Bible activity. Here we go, verse 9. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, that's probably a mistake number one and irresponsible, sank into a deep sleep. As Paul talked still longer. Notice even Luke, the writer's like, yeah, he was really going for it. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Okay, so let this be a warning to all of us here. Number one, five minutes is not that big a deal compared to 12 hours extra, right? 
And number two, pay attention when somebody's speaking. Verse 10, but Paul went down and bent over him and taking up in his arms said, do not be alarmed, his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up, uh, so what did he do after he healed him? When Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten again, he conversed with them a while longer until daybreak. So now we're talking all night church. Anybody up for all night church? Chirp, chirp, chirp. And so he departed. And they took the youth away alive, uh, and they were not a little comforted. So this is just a parenthetical, beautiful, awesome, amazing story. It doesn't really have to do with anything except, uh, except for it's in Scripture, and God wanted it in there for us to learn something. But, uh, but, but seriously, our meat of the passage starts in verse um, 17. And as, as you know, or perhaps have picked up on, um, you know, this is going to be my last Sunday here speaking uh, to you. And it's amazing... And ironic and providential in so many ways that the passage that is on the schedule for us, where we find ourselves, is here in Acts chapter 20. Because this is Paul, um, and he is essentially his farewell speech to the people that he loves and had worked with. And he's got some things that he wants to share with them. Um, so it's just, it's, it's just pretty cool that... Not that this is any sort of big farewell speech, but the idea that Paul's got a few things that he wants to remind them of. And it's going to be really important for us as a church and individuals to look into our own lives as we see the kind of life that Paul lived and really ask ourselves, what do we want to be said of us on our deathbed or at our funeral or those moments where you're looking back on the entirety of your life? Here's Paul. He knows that he's headed towards Jerusalem. He is sensing from the Holy Spirit that this is kind of going to be the end of his life. And so here he's pouring out his heart and his soul to these people that he loves. So there's a lot for us to glean from this and a lot for us to aspire to. But let's go ahead and dive into the text in, uh, in verse 17. Um, let's go ahead and dive in. Uh, scripture says this. And then from Miletus, he, that is Paul, sent to Ephesus, and he called for the elders of the church to come to him. So Miletus is a beach town, okay? So it's a harbor area, and Paul said, this is where I'm going to be taking my ship from. I want you spiritual leaders to come here. I've got something I want to share with you. You know it's going to be important. So here's what he said, verse 18. And when they came to him, he said to them, it's this moment, this final departing words um, that he's going to drop on them. And uh, if you're taking notes, kind of the way that we've arranged the message is we've just pulled out five different characteristics from Paul's life. Uh, that he mentions here directly from the text that would be great for every single one of us to aspire to um, by the time that we finish our lives or finish our ministry or finish our relationship. So five different things if you're taking notes. And here's what Paul says to them. He says this. When, he, when they came to him, he said, you yourselves know. And, and in other words, he's saying, you need to remember, deep down in your heart, in your mind, in your memory, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time 
from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So the first characteristic that we want to pull out, what was said of Paul, what needs to be said of every, any one of us on our deathbed or at our funeral, number one, can it be said of you like it was said of Paul that he was humble? That he was humble. Now humility is a characteristic that we can, that we can try and have in, in the way we act. Or it can be a characteristic that is uh, kind of brought upon us where we are humbled in one way or another way, right? And just so you guys know, I mean, the way we're, I've kind of crafted the message here, I didn't think that it was right to just go ahead and like, hey, here's a normal message. You know, I, I didn't think that was right, and I certainly didn't want to take the whole time and talk about memories and sad things and all of that. So we're diving into scripture, looking at these characteristics, and then there's going to be a couple memories and stories and things that we can celebrate about our time together kind of sprinkled in there. But um, he was humble. And again, sometimes you get humbled. And I've got a couple stories of situations where I was at one level or another humble because things didn't work out the way I wanted them to work out. But now you look back at them and laugh. And one of them was in my first couple of weeks here. You know, I'm wanting to prove that I'm a servant and like here helping the team. And so I showed up early and everybody's, you know, as you know, we're a portable church. So we're setting everything up here starting at 645, 7 in the morning. So I'm here and we're setting everything up. And I was over on this side. And, uh, and I was working on this big speaker right here, which uh, this thing is not light. Some of you that have done a setup and tear down know, but you know, I am pretty strong. So anyway, I hoist this thing up and I'm looking to put it up on this thing. And clearly it was some sort of malfunction or perhaps in a moment of weakness, I couldn't quite get it up there. But this whole entire speaker that probably cost thousands of dollars went toppling over in full force and it landed right here. And there's a giant gash in this uh, banister and it fell straight down there. And uh, every strong guy that was there immediately heard the noise and looked over at me and I'm just left there like <laughs> I don't know but thankfully it still worked and somebody eventually came over and, and fixed that we probably should have talked to the school about that but regardless you get humbled right another situation um was uh when, when I had some ladies that got pretty angry at me at one point uh and here's what happened this was a couple years back and we were talking about our series called Hinges, which is theology, basically. This is what our whole faith hangs on, right? That was the idea, the idea, and it opens up different doors for us. So we were talking about the doctrine of salvation, the theology of salvation. And we had a big visual up here where we had two huge ladders. I don't know if you guys were around. It's a couple years ago when, uh, when we did this. So we were talking about salvation, and we were talking about how all of our righteousness stacks up on one side, and different ones of us are, are holy in different degrees from a world standpoint, right? We all do some level of good, and then there's some people that don't do very much good at all. And if you'll, if you'll remember, on that ladder on the right, there's a bunch of pieces of paper there that had different names on it. And we like stacked them up based on how good or righteous they were. So all the way at the bottom was like Hitler and you know Saddam Hussein and some of these very evil people. And then it slowly got better and better and better. And you know whose name was all the way at the top? Was it Mother Teresa or Billy Graham? I believe it was Matt Rice. 
if I remember correctly, the gentleman that was right out here before me. But anyway, so it didn't matter, right? Because it was like, oh, all the way up to the top, but still we fall short. Doctrine of salvation, like it just, you know, we're still falling short. And we talked about the big chasm that was between us and between God, represented by the other ladder. And there's no way to get from us to him, no matter how holy we are. And so then we talked about Jesus, and we had this giant plank that we set across, and like he's the bridge, you know, salvation, gospel, testimony, message type of thing right so then in a moment of bravery I got out and started to walk over and I'm like high in the air I'm like eight ten feet in the air and and I'm just trying to preach and all of a sudden I look down and notice that my legs start shaking because this plank is plenty heavy enough to hold me but it's not very wide and I'm not the most coordinated person in the world so I'm just up there trying to preach and concentrate and I'm starting to get really nervous and like something bad's gonna happen here so I'm like everybody bow your heads and close your eyes this was like 15 minutes before the message was supposed to end so while everybody was distracted I like creep over to the security of Christ the solid rock and I'm holding on to the other ladder and nobody's seeing me and I finish the message right in the middle of Man, he's having us have our heads bowed for a long time. You get humbled, right? And the one I started to reference was a couple of ladies got angry with me because we were talking about Genesis and we were talking about creation. And I had one of our people, um, Gussie Marshallsee, who's an artist, come up on stage while I was speaking and she painted this beautiful picture. It's there on the left. Um, it's mountains and it's a lake and it's a sunset and it's glorious. And I was talking about Genesis 1 and 2 and talking about creation and paradise and how amazing it was. And God put intricate design into it and everything. And then I talked about Genesis chapter 3 which is where Adam and Eve make the decision to go against what God said. And they were living in paradise and everything was glorious, but in essence, they basically said, and I took some black paint that I had right there hidden, this is what we think of your creation. And I took black paint and smeared it all over that beautiful painting. And I had several people visibly upset after the service that came up to me. And they're like, how could you destroy such a beautiful painting? Like, angry. That was the point of the illustration. That's what, she can paint another one. It just was, you didn't quite get it. But anyway, you get humbled. You make mistakes and like things don't always go the way you want them to go in life. But what's so unique about Paul is he was humble because he knew that he was weak and that he was going to make mistakes constantly. And he wasn't afraid of that. And people recognize that about him. What's, what's incredible is this word humility, one author wrote it this way, this word humility was often translated as weakness in that culture. And it was seen as an insult. You know, like you're so weak, you can't do anything, like you're inept, you're incapable, whatever it is. And it was, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago, that was an insult. But in scripture, it's used over 200 times. And it's a virtue so that's what the gospel does for us. It takes our weaknesses and it gives us the opportunity to boast in those weaknesses. Because it's only by the power of God that we can take something that's seen as, you know, a, a inept, uh, uncapable person and God's like, that's the kind of person I want to use. The broken people are the ones that I can shine through the most. How many, Paul, how many times did Paul say, I'm going to boast all the more even in my weakness so that the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ can be seen 
through me. People say that about you? Is that a characteristic that you expect or would hope to be said about you at the end of your days? Humility marked you? Certainly did for Paul. Number two, if you're taking notes, he was not only humble, he was authentic. He was authentic. Start reading in uh, verse 20. Paul says, hey, let me remind you how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Paul was authentic. He said, I didn't shrink from telling you what what needed to be said. I wasn't the kind of person that sugarcoated things. I was the kind of person that you could really trust in to speak the truth even when it hurts. And I love that Paul says, you know what? I I spoke um, in public and also going house to house. And Paul was basically saying, you guys know that I was the same person when the spotlight was on and when we were outside of that and I was sitting in your living room. You know that I was the same person. I wasn't a hypocrite. I didn't try and parade and put on a show in front of an audience, and then I was somebody else. Nope. He was authentic and the same person through and through. I love that he says, uh, you know, right now the Holy Spirit is constraining me. He's sending me. He's compelling me, not knowing what will happen to me next, except for this piece. The Holy Spirit testifies in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. How's that for being excited about what your next assignment is? Paul's like, hey, the one thing I do know, I'm gonna get beat down, I'm gonna be imprisoned, and it's not gonna be easy. But that's what the Holy Spirit has for me. That's authenticity right there. I love it. And that ties right in with what's next uh, in verse 24. This is kind of the cornerstone um, passage. You know, he just got done saying, yeah, I, I know I'm gonna be beaten, I know I'm gonna be thrown in prison, but... Number three, the characteristic, he was faithful. He was faithful. Verse 24, which I believe is one of Matt Rice's his life verse, or certainly one of his favorites. I've heard him talk about it so much. And it says this. He says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul didn't necessarily want success. He wanted to be called faithful. And there's a big, big, big difference in that. One pastor brilliantly put it this way, To be faithful is clearly stewardship language. Remember all the parables Jesus told about the master who went away on a journey and the servants that he had, the stewards that he had to take care of things? He said being faithful is stewardship language. Success and failure, those are master's language. You see the difference? 
We do what the master tells us to do. Our responsibility is to be faithful and obey. And if you are so concerned with success and failure instead of faithfulness and obedience, then you are considering yourself the master. That's so profound, so monumental. Because you think about Paul, he's like, all right, well, is this really going to be successful if I get thrown in prison again, if I get beaten again? And even think about the comparison between Paul and Peter, right? You remember Peter in Acts chapter 2 when uh, the Holy Spirit came down and all these incredible things were happening. Immediately Peter jumps up there and gives a speech that probably takes maybe three minutes and 3,000 people come to faith. You know, incredibly successful. But then you look at Paul. And it seems that just about every city that he went to, he didn't have those kind of results, nothing close. He'd get there and he'd preach the gospel, he'd share something, and people picked up stones and drove him out of the city and beat him up and left him for dead. Every place he went. So you wonder in his mind, if he's like, man, well, why was Peter so successful? And here, if I get out of a city still alive, that's success. Because he considered faithfulness as more important than what the world would consider successful. Number four, he was passionate. He was passionate. Keep reading in verse 26. Here's what he says. Therefore I testify to you to this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That's like a pretty fierce statement, right? Talking about I'm innocent of blood. What are, you, what are you talking about? He's saying, I have shared the gospel with you and I'm not responsible when I get there before heaven. And Jesus says, did you do what I wanted you to do? I did it. And this is a reference to the book of Isaiah, an incredible passage in the book of Isaiah where it talks about the watchmen that God has put on the walls and how these watchmen were responsible to keep an eye out. And if an enemy was coming, if an army was coming, their job was to warn everybody. And if they didn't, they weren't doing their job. And Paul's saying all of us has been, have been set up, we who know the Lord, we've been set up as watchmen on the walls. And judgment is coming. People need to know. But I've shared that gospel freely. And I've shared it passionately. So I've got nothing to be ashamed of. Listen to this quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. This famous quote, it's incredible. He says this, um, if people are going to go to hell, if people are going to go to hell, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. Talk about a boast in the Lord that everyone that came in my path, I've shared the gospel unashamed. I know that I can't say that by any stretch. But Paul did, and that's something for us to aspire to. Notice what he says to the elders here. Keep on reading in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves into all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. He was passionate about people. He was passionate about the church. 
Verse 29, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and even from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, he says, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. Paul was so passionate for people and for relationships and for encouragement and for sharing scripture. He wasn't inconvenienced by people that were in need. Notice he said day and night. It didn't matter if it was late at night. It doesn't matter if it was first thing in the morning. Somebody's in need. I'm going to be there to share with them. And I'm going to do it so passionately that I'm going to do it with tears. Not indifference. Incredible example for us, and I love what he says in verse 32. And now I commend you to God, or I commit you to God, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He's so passionate about them, he says, I'm committing you to God. I'm not going to be here to teach you anymore, to be here with you anymore. I'm committing you to the Lord and to these spiritual leaders. You don't belong to me anyway, Paul says. You're God's. That's an incredible illustration for us. Number five, last one that we see here. What characteristic do we see? Starting in verse 33, he was unselfish. He was unselfish. Listen to what he says. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, apparently even back then there's people that dressed nicer than others. They had vineyard vines on and polo and Gucci and whatever. But Paul's like, yeah, I know you dress nice, but I never wanted that. I know you had more money than me, but I never wanted that. He says, you yourselves know, once again, please remember that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Could it be said of you at the end of your life that you were content? You weren't always looking for what was next. You weren't always looking for getting something bigger and better and raising up your bank account and ambition to rise up in your company and earn more money and have more power. But would it be said of you that he was unselfish and he was content? The Apostle Paul said, I have learned to be content in all things, right? Remember, he's like, I've known what it's like to have much. I've known what it's like to have nothing but I have learned to be content in all circumstances because I know God's going to provide for me. Paul was a beautiful illustration of that. I love how he says, hey, remember to help the weak. And remember, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Are you a giver or are you a taker? Which of those would God characterize you as if you were to meet him? What would other people say about you? And can that be said of you? This next piece in this scene is just so beautiful. And when he had said these things, verse 36, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. Just picture this scene. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken. 
that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Can you just imagine that scene of them all praying with him and sobbing and weeping and then walking with him down the ship? They loved this man so much. And, and they had seen and been impacted by these five things amongst many other things. It's incredible aspiration for us that these things could be said of us. So I wanted to take a minute here, a couple of minutes, and just share with you just a couple of key moments. I like to think in terms of snapshots and photography. I don't know if there's other big fans of photography, but certainly you've been impacted by, you know, Life Magazine and Time Magazine, some of these other, like, top 50 photos and, like, photojournalism. Like, it's really powerful for me to, like, take some situation, some memory, but capture it just in one frame. And so I grabbed a few of these um, that have been very meaningful to my family, how this church has blessed my family. And uh, there's hundreds of moments that I could talk about, um, but... I couldn't find pictures for all of those, and we don't have time for all of that. So I just want to share a couple of them with you. Some are fun. Some are a little bit more serious, but they're all significant. And this first moment is one that I will remember forever, and this is 100 pounds of steak on a grill. 100 pounds. Anybody here for this night? Raise your hand up really high. That was just me. Wasn't that just me and you that took care of that? Now, there's a, there's a few of us here. This is a couple years ago. This is for a man night that we did and grilling up 100. I mean, steak is my love language. So this was a beautiful night for me. Other times we've had, uh, we've roasted pigs and played crazy games. It's incredible, manly, fun, awesome stuff. And uh, this, is the, this is what I dream about right here. Outside of important ministry stuff, it's pretty much that. But what about this snapshot? This is from an evening called Night to Shine, a special needs prom that we've been involved with for the last couple years. And, um, and, and this, these were our dates for the night. You can see mine doesn't seem to be having a whole lot of fun. But once we got out on the dance floor, he started laughing at me because there's a lot to be laughed at. Remember, humility, like sometimes you are humbled. Yeah, that's true. But man, this is investing in people and celebrating people who at some levels the world would look at as the weak. Right, that's what Paul said. Hey, remember the weak. And yet we look at some people that the world would look at and be like, oh, you know what? They've at such a disadvantage, but we want to celebrate them. And these were beautiful moments of that among many things that this church does. We've so enjoyed our friendships and our relationships. This was an incredible moment for us. Some dear friends that we all gathered together one night. All of the women were very much pregnant outside of my wife. That is not our child. Um, but we decided we were going to have a baby blessing. Okay, not in like a weird, authoritative kind of way, just more like this is a time for us to pray for you as parents, but to pray for these unborn children as well. And it's these beautiful moments of sharing together and families together and seeing families grow together that are incredibly significant. This church has had a DNA and will have a DNA of pouring into the next generation. And one of my great memories has to do with uh, this father-son trip that we took a couple years ago called the Passage Retreat. And we went to West Virginia. It was a father-son thing. Set up all these dads with important conversations to have with their sons to pour into them so that they might be able to navigate through life. And I want you to take a look at this river. This is the new river. It's supposed to be white water. And it's pretty much chocolate milk water. 
because I think there was a deluge like they have never seen uh, in West Virginia that very weekend, and the river was up like 12 feet from where it normally is. So we went brown water rafting, which was unique and a great experience. We actually saw a porta potty float by the raft as we were going down the river, which we used as a great illustration. See how much garbage can be like just in the throes of our whatever. And this next picture is uh, kind of a little bit more of our crew. Some of them are cut off, but just fathers and sons celebrating these moments together, significant moments together. Um, you know, student ministry and, and, and what's happened here with my kids, all of which are in student ministry now, has been incredibly important. I'm, I love these moments and these snapshots of, of student-led Sundays where all these kids get up here sharing their talents, some lead, many leading worship, some sharing testimonies, and, and these moments where we can get everybody up here and just pray for them as a church. Student ministry has made a huge impact on our family. Um, and, and these are just some of the moments. Um, certainly the mission trips and stuff that we've been on. There's my daughter Autumn going to Haiti. And I just love this picture in particular because it just, it just shows the connectivity and the love and the affection that goes beyond language. And that shows the love of Jesus to, to a broken people. To learn from them and to uh, see the dignity in them as humans. No different than us, right? Incredible. I think, about, um, I think about the fact that this church, with this family, it has blessed us because we were able to experience, with you guys, a baptism of all three of my kids on the same day, um, which was incredible. So just being able to share those moments with our spiritual family is, is a priceless, priceless thing. But man, somebody snapped this next picture, and I don't even know who it was. I don't remember. Somebody snapped this picture and sent it to me. Um, and it really means a lot to me. <laughs> this Pastor Tyner, who's become a dear, dear friend, he pastors White Oak Missionary Baptist Church right down the street from us, and we have connected at the heart and soul, our church and his church. And that's going to continue. And this was a moment of prayer that we had. I think it was even at um, a practice for the choirs that we did some Christmas Eve or, or something like that. But but I love that man and I love his heart and I love that connectivity uh, and the heartbeat of this church to partner with other churches and all the goodness that we've seen um, from, that, from that connection. Many of you perhaps remember the uh, Sunday that we had and, and where, we, where we talked about adoption and fostering and all that, right? You remember that moment up here where we had all these different um, couples in various stages of adoption? And Matt went down through the whole thing, you know, and like, how great is this at what we see? And like, it, it's so cool because there has been babies that have been given and news that's been gotten. And two of them are sitting right over here. Absolutely love that the Lord has infused in this church that heartbeat to run to those that don't have a mother and father. And to care for the widows and to care for the orphans. And even since then, there's been several other people that have risen up from this body and says, I want to do that too. This is a church where reality and sharing deeply and authenticity, like we talked about, shines through. And one of my favorite Sundays was when we had some people I respect very much up here sharing deeply about the ideas of depression and anxiety and some of that. If you remember, we got pictures a little blurry, but that's Shannon aiming over there and that uh, is Ronnie Lau he looks like a ghost right there and then all the way on the right that very good looking man is Charlie Rogers three people that I respect incredibly deeply and they're up here sharing the most vulnerable 
parts of their existence. Here's what I've struggled with, and here's what I'm still struggling with. But the Lord is meeting me here, even in the midst of those dark moments. This next one goes right along with it. I mean, it's, it's some of the mothers that we had up there sharing on Mother's Day again. Not all hunky-dory, hey, here's why I'm such a great mom. The opposite of that in so many ways, right? Here's where things are really difficult. Let's share together deeply from the heart about what we've had to wrestle through and, and how the Lord has taught us something and we can learn from each other through that. About what it means to be a great mom, what it means to have an influence as a grandmother even. So awesome moments. And then the kind of people that we have here at Northwest, I will never ever forget. This next picture is of a dear friend, Ronnie, and my daughter, Madison. The picture was taken a couple years ago, but Madison, more recently, has just been going through some rough things. Just some anxiety, some panic attacks, and she was having an especially bad couple of days. And what happens the next day? Ronnie shows up the gift with a bouquet of flowers with a card this is Madison God loves you we love you and you're going to get through this it's those moments that people in this church see where somebody else is hurting or somebody needs something and they rise up and they meet them and that's kind of people you are and this next one is a picture of our life group guy in the middle holding the cane, his name's Carrie Bowman, uh, and his wife, Patty Joe, right next to him. And he was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer, moved here to this area specifically to try and get the treatment, prolong his life. It was a fatal cancer, and he's with Jesus right now. But this is our life group, and uh, God put it on their hearts to rise up and to do something for Carrie and Patty Joe. We went over to their house and didn't really tell them what was going on, but we said, you're heading out for three hours. Oh, by the way, here's a gift certificate to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Uh, <laughs> and so we sent them out for a couple of hours and took care of the kiddos. And this little crew of people behind me, we did an extreme makeover home edition in like three or four hours at their house. Remember that old show with the guy with the crazy hair, Ty, whatever his name was? That, it was unbelievable, the transformation. We painted everything. We landscaped. We brought in mulch. We, like, set up all these lights on their deck and, like, got new furniture. And, like, it was a whole big ordeal to show a family love. And you know what? That was way more fun and more inspiring and more invigorating than sitting in a circle and life group being like, well, what does this passage mean to you? I don't know. What does it mean to you? I don't know. What does it mean to you? This stuff's way more important. Got to be very careful to say that talking about God's word is very important as well. But the application and the stepping out in the actual doing rather than just talking is so significant. And this final one is just a, a moment that was just a couple months ago. Totally out of nowhere. It was a Sunday morning. It was after everything was packed away and rolled out and all the trailers were filled and shut and I had forgotten my Bible in here. So I came back in 
and nobody else was around, and I just walked in, and I turned on the lights, and that was the scene. Which was really odd, because that, okay, fine, everything's empty, that's great, but there was a chair sitting right here. And I don't know who put that there or what. We don't use that chair. We use this fancy, awesome chair. Not one of these ones where I'm like sitting way down here. Hey, everybody. So I, I don't know how that got there or who put it there or what happened when the guys were cleaning off all the stage. But I saw that moment right there. And I just took a picture of it because I'm like, this is powerful. Because to me, it really represents it like it's not a picture of all the people this direction. You know what I mean? Like doing things for the glory of man or if people like it or don't like it or whatever. It's like I'm looking at that and I'm like, that's really the audience of one right there. That's really what's way more important than anything else. And that's what we try and do as a church and that's what we want to try and do as individuals. Is live our lives not for the glory of other people, not for the praise of other people or the accolades or being concerned if they don't like something or they do like something and trying to living in that balance and taking the temperature to see what people want. It's for an audience of one. And God just really spoke to me in that moment. It was really powerful. So, amazing providential that Acts chapter 20 is, 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 is where we find ourselves characteristics that we need to aspire to uh, so that we can live a life that, that ultimately pleases God. Paul did that. Paul learned it from somebody named Jesus. If you think about it, Jesus was humble. I mean, you could come out verse after verse in that. He was authentic. He was real. He was faithful to the will of his father. Even when he didn't like it, he was passionate. He had tears flowing for, for the lost city of Jerusalem. He wept over the city. He was unselfish, ultimately giving us what we could never deserve and that we didn't earn, new life through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's bow together and let's pray. God, we just thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the leadership here that you put in place. God, we thank you that you are sovereign and that you are in control. And Lord, we just pray that for every single one of us, we would take an inventory right now on these things. Let it be said of us, Lord, that we were faithful. We love you, God, and we thank you. We praise you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.